Over the past few weeks, we've talked about the lack of love in today's world. We've looked at fear. We've discussed the dangers of an unforgiving heart. And last week, we focused in on what it looks like to find hope in a world where everything seems hopeless. Many of these worrisome things are simply the reality of living in a sinful world. And that's bad news. But fear not, dear friends. The good news is this. We will look at these these ailments and infections caused by sin, yes, but we will focus most of our attention on the truth that Jesus is the cure. Our sermon today is entitled End Time Anxieties. End Time Anxieties. And as I've mentioned in the past, eschatology is just a fancy theological term for the study of the end times. The study of the end times. And people often turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel or the New Testament book of Revelation to to try and better understand what the end might look like. But did you realize that Jesus also had a bit to say about eschatology in the Gospels? Matthew 24 is where Jesus spends the most time teaching about these matters. And what I found is that most people find a lot of hope and encouragement through the words of Christ written down in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But his teachings in Matthew 24 often leave people feeling fearful or anxious. But I don't believe that it needs to be that way. That being said, Jesus did make a few startling statements. Like in verses 9 and 10, where he talks about what his followers expect in the future. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Tribulation. Hatred. Death. It doesn't sound like a very fun time. And he continues, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Betrayal and more hate. And then further on, he talks about how difficult it would be to even try and escape the persecution. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now this final statement is especially sobering. If you even have a basic understanding of this world's history, you realize that some absolutely horrific and devastating events have taken place on this planet. But Jesus admits, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
You ain't seen nothing yet. Now, what he discusses in this chapter sounds extremely difficult. And honestly, it sounds like a lot of suffering. With that said, I'd like to say a few things. A side lesson on suffering, if you will. Sufferings. Ugh, just, just the word. It, it brings up certain feelings inside of us, right? It makes me cringe. Such disgusting things, but we all have them. Yes, even those of us that seek to walk with God. We have sufferings. We experience sufferings. And so with that in mind, did Jesus have anything specific to say on that matter? Yes, he did. In John 16, we find these words from Christ. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes, there are difficult times ahead. But there have always been difficult times here in this world. Nothing new. Ever since sin entered the world, we've seen one terrible event after another. Yes, it can be disheartening. Yes, it can be upsetting. Yet here, Jesus is calling his followers to make a change in their focus. A change in their focus. If we only focus on the events of this world, we will experience nothing but a mind full of conflict. But if we focus our eyes and minds on Jesus, we will, in his own words, have peace. Peace. What a powerful word. Elsewhere, this, this peace that can only be found in Jesus is described as a peace that surpasses all understanding. Might not make sense, but that doesn't mean it's not real. You've known no peace like the peace found in Jesus. Even through tough times and tribulation, when we place our focus and trust on Jesus, we will be cheerful, smile. We will be overcomers to anything that comes our way, not in our own strength, remember? We are but helpless, but because of our dependence upon God. And that's a promise that you can take to the bank because that's a promise straight from the lips of our Savior. And he doesn't lie He doesn't bring half-truths. He doesn't fib. If he speaks it, it's true. In a similar manner, Jesus says this during the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were here before you. Nothing new under the sun. 
But these events that Jesus is describing right here, they sound a lot about what he talks about in chapter 24, right? A lot of similarities there. Yet instead of telling us to be fearful and anxious about it, he says that those who go through this type of persecution are blessed. Blessed. What's even more interesting here is that this is the only beatitude that Jesus repeated. And maybe he felt that he needed to because this is a tough pill to swallow. Rejoicing and suffering? <laughs> Easier said than done, right? The twice repeated for, that word for, provides a single explanation because both times that preposition is followed by the truth that those who are Christ's will inherit the kingdom. This world isn't the end. Our sufferings, and they are great at times, they will cease someday. In Luke 6, Jesus says this, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So he tells us that Christians should not only rejoice in the face of trouble, but that they should literally leap for joy. Once again, easier said than done. <laughs> On Wednesday night's prayer stream, I talked about the fact that we as Christians, we are called to a certain standard. And this standard is not normal in the eyes of society. It's not normal. We are told to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. We are to put others first and forgive those who wrong us. This isn't normal. <laughs> but neither is being joyful in the face of tribulation. And the fact of the matter is that following the example of Christ is what makes us, as the Bible describes, a peculiar people, a not normal people. But we can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that they are but temporary. Temporary. This too shall pass. I find myself often reminding myself and others that very thing over the past year. This too shall pass. And not only that, but God can make good things come out of bad events. Has anybody here ever experienced that in their own life? Something that happened that was bad, it was terrible, and it hurt. And maybe God didn't send it, but it happened, but he was able to use it for good. Whenever I think on this matter, I, my, my mind always goes to the story of Joseph. I mean, it was like one bad thing after the other, and the good that came from it, it wasn't seen for years. It wasn't seen for decades. 
but God was working. The afflictions that we face in this life are sometimes a sort of ministry of their own. They help show us our utter helplessness, right? Like we just talked about before our prayer and and hopefully drive us into the arms of Jesus, our greatest source of strength and righteousness. It makes me think of this quote from C.S. Lewis. I suggest to you that it is because because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men, the blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. Talk about another tough pill to swallow. But it's because of this that we as Christians, we can learn to rejoice in the face of sufferings. To even get to the point, as as C.S. Lewis put it, to view it as a gift, mercy. We can rejoice in the face of sufferings, tribulations, and yes, even end-time anxieties. This is just one of the many reasons that we are having this sermon series and why I will continue to remind you that Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the cure. You know, in these teachings, Jesus, he reframes the issue at hand. He reminds us that this world is not our home and that a new heaven and a new earth are in our future. And I believe that that, that very thing, is the true purpose of why Jesus preached about eschatology in Matthew 24. When we get caught up focusing on the anxieties of eschatology, we forget about our calling and our true way out, the exit strategy, if you will. What is this exit strategy, Pastor TJ? You know, it's, it's nestled right there in Jesus' teachings in that end-time-focused chapter. Right there in Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. This is our calling. This is our purpose. Jesus has given all of us, not just pastors, not just evangelists, but he's called all of us to share the good news of the gospel to the world. To let everyone know that they are loved, they are accepted, they are chosen by God. Introduce them to Jesus so that, as I said in my prayer, their lives can be transformed. And until we get serious about this job, we can continue to look forward to the fulfillment of God's kingdom as being far off in the future. Far off in the future. The truth of the matter is, 
the kingdom of God began with Jesus's ministry. It began with Jesus's ministry, but, but that, that mustard plant that started off as just a, a, a minuscule, teeny, eensy little seed, it keeps growing. Do you want to be a part of it? That's really the question here. Do you want to be a part of it? Sadly, many preach a religion that is motivated by fear and anxiety. Maybe we haven't heard those sermons as much in our particular denomination, but I'm sure we're all familiar with those uh, as they're categorized hellfire and brimstone sermons. Things may indeed get worse. There may be troubling times, extremely troubling times in our lifetime. But where we place our confidence, there our heart will be also. Preemptive love is greater than self-preservation. Preemptive love is greater than self-preservation. Perfect love casts out all fear and anxiety. But our fallen human nature, it makes it quite easy to think about self-preservation and protection in the end times. But Jesus didn't say, pick up your sword and follow me. He didn't say that. His path was the way of the cross. The path of Jesus isn't about self-preservation. It's about self-denial. Something we all struggle with, right? I mean, all of us struggle with this. It's the fallen human condition. But that's the power of transformation. That's the power of allowing the Holy Spirit into your life. The true paradox of Christ is that when you are willing to lose your life at that moment, at that place, then you will find it. And when we find that life, as it is in Christ, we will be led to spread his good news message to the world. Yes, even during those times when it might not be easy for us to do so. But we'll do it because we desire others to experience the same type of peace Love and joy as it can only be found in Jesus. And as we do that, the kingdom will continue to grow. The message of Jesus will continue to spread here locally, across the state, across this continent, across the entire world. That's what we've been called to. And eventually, we'll be welcomed into a new heaven and a new earth with no more sin, no more suffering, no more death. As Heather read from our scripture reading, Jesus told us that nobody knows the day or the hour. But if we put our focus on the right things, not getting so caught up with dates and symbols and predictions, but instead on the truth as it is in Jesus, I don't believe it will be too much longer before we hear 
these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus is coming soon to take us home. But in the meantime, we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Whew. Bring others to the truth of the good news as it is in Jesus. And when that mission has been fulfilled, we can look forward to this. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. And the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So no matter the sin, no matter the struggle, no matter the lie, no matter the doubt, no matter the pain, no matter the fear, Jesus is the cure. Amen and amen. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue this series with a sermon entitled, Gripped by Guilt, Strangled by Shame.